This is Think Energy, the podcast that helps you better understand the fast-changing world of energy through conversations with game changers, industry leaders, and influencers. So join me, Dan Sege, and my co-host, Rebecca Schwartz, as we explore both traditional and unconventional facets of the energy industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. To refresh our listeners, or in case they missed it in December, our organization Hydrowato announced that it will make its entire operations net zero by the time 2030 rolls around. And by my calculations, that's only eight years away. In order to achieve net zero, you have to remove as much greenhouse gas emissions or more than you're currently putting into the atmosphere. Now, to put it into further perspective, Ottawa's electricity grid stretches 1,100 square kilometers. It's essentially Ottawa's largest machine. Add to that our fleet of bucket trucks and other vehicles, various work centers across the city, and more than 700 employees. You start to realize that this is no small endeavor. Our president and CEO likes to call it our moonshot after the Apollo 11 mission, where we sent a man to the moon in the 1960s. Actually, the timeline to achieve both is pretty similar. President Kennedy announced his ambitious goal to Congress in 1961. By 1969, a man was on the surface of the moon. In those short eight years, it must have seemed impossible to many. While Canada is putting as much pollution into the atmosphere, unfortunately, as it did a generation ago, 730 million tons to be exact, Canada's electricity industry is one of the cleanest in the world. In fact, 80% of the electricity in Canada comes from not emitting resources. And Ontario's electricity sector is even more impressive, with 94% of its electricity we produce completely free of greenhouse gas emissions. Some experts say that a fully decarbonized electricity industry will be the key climate change solution for Canada. Here's today's big question. What will it take to get Hydro Ottawa to net zero by 2030? And what inspired the decision to be the first municipally owned utility in Canada to do it? We've been building an impressive resume here at Hydro Ottawa when it comes to environmental sustainability. Most recently, we even won the Canadian Electricity Association's Sustainability Electricity Company designation in 2021. But we'll get into all of that with our special guest later today. Bryce Conrad has been the president and CEO of Hydro Ottawa since 2011. Under his leadership, Hydro Ottawa has become one of the most innovative utilities in Canada, regularly winning awards and accolades for its customer-oriented services and its commitment to environmental sustainability. It is the largest municipally-owned producer of clean, renewable energy in Ontario. He's also my boss. Bryce, welcome to the show. Now, Hydro Ottawa recently made a net zero by 2030 commitment, and there's a lot of momentum in that direction in corporate Canada generally. What's your view on its importance? What makes for a truly credible and meaningful net zero commitment? Collectively, we as a society have been talking about this for, quite frankly, too long. I mean, as I when I did this presentation to the board, you know, you referenced back to Kyoto and 
the Kyoto Protocols, and then Paris, Montreal. And I mean, every four or five years, they get around to having another meeting and collectively agree to do something but never do anything. So there's a whole lot of talk and nothing else much. Uh, so, you know, from our perspective as a company, it was just – it was just time. It's time to take, just you know, to start taking responsibility for our own house and you know the impact that we have collectively on our own environment. Um, you know that we can and will do better. That we can, um, that we can be part of the solution. Um, and you know, I'd say this. You know, as someone who spent time in the federal government, uh, who's worked, you know, you know, fifteen years working in federal provincial relations, I, I mean, the answer to climate change is not going to come from, from some magical center, central government telling us what to do or what not to do. Um, it's not going to come from a provincial government. The solutions are going to be local. They're going to come from the ground up, and they're going to be you and me doing the right thing each and every day, um, changing our own behavior, recognizing that the behavior that we – that we're or the path that we're on today is unsustainable and being willing to make those changes, you know, and I, and I, and I love the idea that, you know, there, there's still some expectation that, 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 you know, there is going to be some sort of savior that's going to come in and, and fix everything for us. And, you know, if you look at Jeff Bezos, you look at Elon Musk, I mean, you know, the two wealthiest men in the world and, and, you know, I <laughs> think, they're trying to get off the planet faster than they can stay on the planet. So, um, you know, by building rocket ships and stuff. So I, the answer is not there. Um, what I do like about this time, what, what I do think is different this time is um, for the first time, at least in my, from my perception, the first time is that it's not simply going to be governments making commitments. You're actually starting to see the, private sector come to the table with money and solutions. And when you see people like Larry Fink and you see Omers and the big pension funds and the big banks, um, you know, the big insurance companies, when you start seeing these massive multi-billion dollar businesses stepping to the, up to the table and saying, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to start to change behavior. Um, that's kind of special. That's that's what's that's the secret sauce that's necessary to solve this problem. And the perfect example, and I've used this before and I'll use it again, is you know, the largest public sector pension fund in the world is a Norwegian pension fund, which effectively is you know, Canada pension fund for Norwegians. And they have about one point six, one point eight trillion dollars under management. And the source of that fund, the genesis of that fund was was essentially selling the offshore oil rights for Norwegian oil development in the North Sea. And now they are saying, we no longer will invest in companies that produce fossil fuel. So isn't that ironic that a company, that a pension fund, the largest in the world that sourced, began via fossil fuel money, is now turning their attention to green technologies. That's new. That's, that's different. That's something we haven't seen before. Okay, here's a follow-up question. Could you maybe expand on what you mean when you say net zero is our moonshot? What is behind the comparison of the Apollo 11 mission that inspired you? 
so YouTube, you can go back and, and, and dial up all these old speeches and watch them and watch them anew. Uh, but look, if you go back to JFK in 1961, so he does this speech before the, before the Joint House and Senate. And, um, you know, it's not a long speech, so I'd encourage everyone to go watch it. There's about, it's about a minute long, the clip that, that's relevant anyway. And in that speech, he says, we are going to go to the moon before the end of the decade. So he's doing this in 61. Obviously, they went to the moon in, in 69. Um, so, but as part of that, he, he, he does something that people don't do enough of these days, right? He literally says, we're going to go to the moon. So that's our objective. And I have no idea how we're going to get there. I'm paraphrasing him, obviously. I have no idea how we're going to get there. The technology doesn't exist to, um, um, the fuel doesn't exist. The booster rocket technology doesn't exist. And the kind of the capsule necessary to get someone to and from the moon doesn't exist today. So he's making this bold announcement without having, and then acknowledging that he doesn't know how they're going to do it. And, and I thought, that's just so, quite frankly, refreshing in this day and age where everything is kind of prepackaged, right? Like, we know what we're going to do this next, you know, two years, but we already know that we've got it in the bag and here's how it's going to be done. Um, I like the idea of setting the big, hairy, audacious goal for the company and saying, and I've said this to the management team, I have no clue how we're going to get there. I don't, I don't know. Like I have, I you know, I know what we need to start doing, but I don't know what the answer is. Um, but I work with some of the smartest people in the game, and I know that if if they're empowered to do this, and we put our minds to this, we will do this. Like you know, and that's what Kennedy counted on in '61, and that's lo and behold, what you know, what happened. So when I liken it to the moonshot, it's, it's just that it's the, it's the big hairy audacious goal without any real clear roadmap as to how to accomplish that goal. And I think quite frankly, that's what served us best is when we don't necessarily have the answers and we have to make up, we have to figure our way through this sort of stuff. And I see that every day at the company, right? If you look back at what we, how we handled the tornadoes, if you look back at the way we handle the floods, if you look at the way we handle our, our system, it's, yeah, there's a lot of prescriptive stuff. Yes, there's a lot of, this is how we do things. But, you know, there are a lot of days where you throw out the rule book, you throw out the manual, and, and you have to figure your way forward. And that's when this company's at its best. So that's the, uh, that's the moonshot. Now, how concerned are you about climate change and environmental damage? What does the energy transition mean for Hydro Ottawa as it exists today and for you personally as we look to the future? So let's just state categorically that climate change is, is real. Um, you know, as I sit here today, it's like minus 27,000 degrees outside. Um, you know, and people go, oh, if it's global warming, why is it so damn cold? And, of course, you just want to smack people that say things like that. But, look, the God's honest truth is climate change is not about the day-to-day -day weather. It's about weather patterns. It's about It's about how... You know, in the past, you know, we've had windstorms and ice storms. We've had eight tornadoes, um, including one in downtown Nepean. Um, you know, we've had a one in 100 year flood followed by a one in 1,000 year flood. Uh, we've had heat waves that have stretched and taxed our system. And, and all of this is just like, quite frankly, within the past five years. So um, that's what climate change means. It means 
unpredictable, changing, dramatically changing weather patterns. And, um, and if you run a utility like, like I do or like we do, you don't like that. <laughs> you know, our infrastructure is built to withstand X. It's not, well, not built to withstand X plus 30% or X plus 50%. So, you know, when a windstorm comes through, you know, the, the set, the, the infrastructure is ready to sustain winds up to 90 miles an hour or something like that. Well, you know, we all saw what happened when the tornadoes came through, you know, 130 miles an hour, 160 miles an hour, right? Those poles snapped like twigs. Um, that's what climate change means. So, you know, it's terrifying. Um, it's absolutely terrifying. And, um, you know, it's something that we have to start to build into our plans as to how we, how we build better uh, in the future. So are we building our infrastructure to withstand 90 mile an hour winds or are we building them to withstand 150 mile an hour winds? Well, there's a cost difference to that, obviously. But the answer is, yeah, we've got to do a better job of building stronger, more resilient infrastructure. If you're building, you know, if you, if you, if you saw during the floods, the Chaudière, uh, the Chaudière facility, which is our new generating asset down at um, Chaudière Falls, you know, you were seeing for the first time in history all 50 of the gates at the, at the ring dam were open. I mean, and there was more, I think it was two Olympic swimming pools were passing through the gates every second. Um, the waterfall, the water, the speed in the waterfall was faster than, than, than Niagara Falls. Like, I, I mean, these are things that shouldn't be happening in downtown Ottawa, but have happened, you know, three times since I've been here, and that's 10 years. So um, if anyone wants to have a debate about whether or not climate change is real, call me up. Let's have that conversation because it's, it's very real and it's, and it's going to dramatically impact our future. Um, in terms of the energy transition, I think I talked a bit about it, but, you know, uh, when we model out and look at what our future looks like 50 years from now, um, our infrastructure looks fundamentally different than it does today. It's in fundamentally different places than it is today. Um, you know, we're going to rely upon artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, you know, each and every one of those, like everything will be censored up. So, you know, the idea is that uh, as opposed to us rolling a truck to fix something that's broken or down, we can sort of simply reroute it from the control center. Um, so that, yes, we still have to get out there and fix what's broken, but for you, the customer of Hydro Ottawa, you actually won't notice the impact because the power will have switched over to another source instantaneously. Um, that's the goal. Um, I think, you know, you'll see more and more people, you know, and, I, and I've been telling people this for, for 10 years, right? The, the day and the age of, you know, my grandmother who used to sort of wait patiently in the mailbox for the bill to come in so she could open it up that day, write a check, and put it back in the mailbox the next day. Uh, those days are gone, and those people are gone. Um, the people that we are customers today, they want to interact. They want more. They want to understand how they can manage their utility. They want to understand how they can manage their energy consumption, particularly if you start to put the onus on them with respect to climate change and what they're doing. Um, so they're going to want to know, like, you know, do I plug my electric car in? If I plug it in now, you know, <clears throat> do I wait and charge it between 2 and 4 a.m. or do I charge it now? Um, 
you know, can I charge my house with my car? Uh, you know, th they're going to be part of this. This uh, they're going to be part of this solution, but they're also going to have expectations of us as a provider to be transparent, authentic, reliable, um, cost. You know, managing the costs. Uh, so that energy transition is going to be is going to be huge for us, and um, it's only going to get more complicated. And I haven't even talked about the downside, right? I mean, the more you open the kimono and you allow the customers to sort of engage um, with you directly, the more you're the more opportunity you're giving for nefarious actors to sort of engage in uh, in things that we don't want to be happening. You know, I think like cybersecurity is an example. Okay, let's talk energy now, Bryce. We've got an interesting energy ecosystem here in Ottawa with long-standing localized and green generation. We had distributed energy resources before it was a thing. Is there a model here that can be applied more broadly? Yeah, you know what? Um, so I always like to think that Hydro at Ottawa is at the cutting edge of these sorts of things. So, you know, we were doing distributed energy resources before, before they had a term for it. So... Tell my kids we were cool before you know what cool was. Um, we, you know, in so short answer, yeah, we um, we've got massive generating assets in our backyard, which you know theoretically uh, can be used as distributed energy resources. Um, as we go forward, my expectation is is that, and I and I'd be the first to admit. Um, you know, having Chaudière and you know the big, the big generating assets is, is is a massive advantage for the company. But you know, where we haven't done so well with our customers is with respect to some of the other DER activity, like the you know the local homeowner that wants to put up um, you know solar uh, solar panels and stuff like that. And the God's honest truth is, those little installations are a real pain. Um, they're a pain to manage. Uh, they're all kind of one-offs. Every one of them is individualized. Every one of them requires a lot of time and attention. But that's not the right answer. The right answer is we should not We should be treating these things as um, as gifts. We should be doing everything in our power to support them and roll them out even further. So my expectation is over the course of the next five, ten years, you're going to see us um, serve as a catalyst role for further DERs. Um, in the community. So that's, that's one, that's the first one I would say is, is, you know, if you're waiting to install solar panels or you need to, or you want to give us a call, we're here to help you and support it. Um, but one of the, I mean, one of the projects that I think stands out is, is kind of um, unique, uh, certainly in, in Canada and um, one that we're particularly proud of uh, just given the role we played is, is down at the Zibi, um, the Zibi community, which is, for those of you who don't know, sort of, well, it's directly between Gatineau and Ottawa. It's on an island, <laughs> no man's land between the two provinces. So half of it's in Quebec, the other half is in Ontario. And, you know, the developer down there, um, kudos to them, um, they have partners in Dream Properties, um, came to us, I guess, four or five years ago, six years ago, with the idea of, Using this development, which is 34 acres on the waterfront, um, and turning it into a one-planet, one-world kind of uh, community where, you know, it's zero carbon. Um, 
you know, they could have, and they could have just asked us to run pipe or run, run power lines. But we thought, you know, here's an opportunity for us to get in on the ground and see how this actually works. So, you know, it's up, it's running. Um, condos are being built. People are living there today. There's, um, you know, the heat and cooling, the heat's coming from, um, you know, effluent discharge out of the Kruger paper plant over on the Gatineau side. So we're essentially, this is a waste product that's being pumped back into the pipes to sort of heat the homes. Conversely, in the, in the summer, the, they're using the, the Ottawa River to sort of cool it. Um, and again, it's, it's a real, it's a full-scale model of what a zero-carbon zero energy system would look like. Um, and there's no reason you can't take that same model and, and apply it on a broader scale, an even broader scale, which is something that we're... Uh, we're keen to replicate where, if and when we get the opportunity. But it's it's truly unique, and um, and we're we're quite proud of it. Again, you know, we got in on the ground floor and said, like, this is something that we're interested in. So how can we help you? And uh, uh, full credit to the development team. They uh, they saw the opportunity to work with us and, uh, and gave us that opportunity. Now, a lot of focus is on national targets, but here in Ottawa, we see a central role for ourselves in working with the city, customers, and other stakeholders to help drive down emissions. How much of climate action needs to be local? How important do you see Hydro Ottawa's role being to affect change? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, I I think if we're going to stand around waiting for the federal government or the province or some other uh, larger national entity to sort of tell us how to solve this problem, I think we'll still be standing around waiting for it in a few years. So my perception is that all politics is local and that the solution to this problem is local. Um, and I just gave you an example of Zibi, the community, where that is a local project that has been done um, and it's been done locally, not because someone said at the at, at government Canada, thou shalt build a zero carbon community. They did it because it was the right thing to do and they felt it was they could do it in that environment. Again, no direction from the feds or the province. Uh, and it was, it was purely local. Um, so the answer, as I said, is local. It's going to be local. It's going to be you and me and Rebecca and everybody else coming up and making decisions on our own that we want to leave this place in a better place than for our kids. Then, you know, what's that old expression? Board chair reminds me of on a daily basis, you know, leave the campsite in a better place than you found it kind of thing, right? So, so that's our goal. You know, that's, that's my goal in coming to Hydro Ottawa is to leave the company in a better place than I found it. Um, that should be our collective goals. So, you know, the city of Ottawa has declared a climate emergency. They've announced their targets. They're ramping up, you know, a series of climate change initiatives aimed at sort of being those targets. Our job is to support them. They're our shareholder. So if we can, you know, bring our money, our expertise um, to help support them deploying energy, you know, carbon-free energy solutions um, or just things that can help curb carbon, then, then that's what we'll do. Um, I think we've got a pretty good track record. Quite frankly, the fact that we've announced that we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030 has, um, you know, it's one thing to say. <laughs> it's, one, it's one thing to say, um, but we're doing it. 
uh, and, you know, and we're on our way. And, um, and that's garnered the attention of other organizations in town who are saying, well, if Hydro Ottawa is going to do this, then maybe they can help us do the same thing. Now, is 2030 an audacious goal for some of them? Yeah, it's probably unrealistic for some, but, you know, the point is, is at least we're doing it. And, you know, obviously it would be inconceivable for the city of Ottawa to get there by 2030, but isn't it nice to know that they can count on a partner that is going to be carbon neutral by 2030 to help them achieve their objectives going forward? So, you know, like, look, we're an innovative company. Um, we're the largest producer of green renewable energy, municipal producer of green renewable energy in Canada. We've got a, a first-rate utility, and we've got an energy solutions company that's that's there to support um, our customers, our businesses, and our, and, and our shareholders. And, and we will deploy all three to uh, to that benefit. So, um, I think I think uh, you know my expectation is that. As we go into this next election, municipal, um, climate change will be, look, if it's not going to be number one or number two on the agenda, I'll be shocked. Like, I honestly think um, it's risen to that level of importance uh, for the citizens of Ottawa. So, yeah, taxes are always there, but um, I think climate change is going to be right up there with it. So, Bryce. As you know, we're in the distinctive position at Hydro Ottawa of having cross-border assets in Ontario, Quebec, and New York. How important is it that Canada's electricity system as a whole becomes more integrated across provincial boundaries? And what key steps can we expect will be taken in that direction? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great question, Rebecca. And I think what people don't really appreciate is just how um, how amazing the electricity grid actually is. It is a... Uh, is a fully integrated machine, you know, that works from one side of the continent to the other side to the other side. I mean, it's just, it's, it's truly magical that you can sort of walk into your room and turn on a light 99.999% of the time that light's going to come on. Um, and that's a credit to the people that built the system in the first place. So the good news is that it is a fully integrated grid, Canada, U.S., um, Unfortunately, it's a little too north-south for my liking at the moment. <laughs> um, most of the grid runs north-south. So our power, you know, yeah, we buy, you know, power gets bought and transferred between Quebec and Manitoba. But, you know, if you look at sort of the large, those large clean energy supplies coming out of Quebec, most of them are directed south um, into the U.S. for export markets. Um, going forward, that's obviously going to have to change. Um, Canada is capable of being, I mean, if you look at the Ontario grid, we're 92% clean and green. Um, but you look at something like Saskatchewan or Nova Scotia or Alberta, which are still heavily reliant on coal or natural gas or other fossil fuels. Um, the answer has got to be, you know, it's the answer is Canada. The answer is we have to share amongst our brethren so that we have to get that clean power from Quebec and Ontario and British Columbia, east-west. Um, and I should say, you know, Yukon and, and the Northwest Territories are the same way. They've got access to, you know, more difficult, but still access to sort of clean, green, renewable. The point is that those, those, that system has to sort of be brought to bear on a national level so that, you know, the interties between Ontario and Quebec are, are, are more plentiful. Um, it, you know, that power gets shifted into Nova Scotia, you know, just so that we can 
so that our energy system can be truly clean and green. And it shouldn't take that long. Unfortunately, what's going to get in the middle of that is, is you know, your classic nimbyism, right? Where, you know, no one wants to build a, no one wants to have these transmission lines running through their backyard kind of thing for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, look, we built the railroad. This railroad built the country. Um, St. Lawrence Seaway. We've done some, mag- we've done some incredibly impressive things from an infrastructure perspective. And, and I just think that's the answer going forward. We need to sort of build that infrastructure at a national level so that, again, the power from Churchill Falls is flowing, you know, to Regina and and, uh, and Edmonton and Calgary. And, and, yeah, that's my answer. Okay, let's talk capacity. Getting to net zero by 2050 will mean roughly doubling clean electricity production in Canada by one estimate. That's the uh, Clean Energy Canada. What do we need to be doing today to make that achievable? Well, I, again, I think we have to. You know, what's the first? Uh, what's the first step in the in the twelve step program? Is admitting that you have a problem. So we have a problem. We we um, you know, if you just step back and look at the politics. Um, you know, we can't build a pipeline in this country to save our lives. Uh, now, whether you think that's the right thing or not, it's, 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 a, it's a proxy for what's necessary. So, okay, we're not going to build a pipeline, but you need to build big transmission lines, <laughs> east, you know, east to west or west to east or vice versa. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to double the, electric, the, cleaning, the, clean, the energy, the electrical energy, which is, which is eminently doable, um, we've got plenty of sources and we've got lots of supply and we've got more that we can, un- that we can tap. Um, you just need to sort of start to work together collectively, uh, province to province, you know, federal government with the provinces to sort of make this happen. Um, and again, I, I have, I have hopes because at the end of the day, like we're one country and we built some amazing infrastructure in this, you know, St. Lawrence Seaway is a perfect example, but you know, the rail lines. We've done this stuff before. There's no reason we can't do it again. You know, faced with a faced with a, a future where our climate is being, you know, the costs of climate change are real, and they're only getting higher on, a, on, a, on an annual basis. It's only a matter of time before the politicians wake up and realize that this is the solution and they have to do something and they have to act. And it's in our best interest to do so as a nation. So I'm hopeful. Now, Bryce... I'm curious, what are the three most innovative sustainability projects that you're most proud of right now that maybe people don't know Hydro Ottawa is doing or involved with? Sure. I'd probably give you four. Uh, and I know you asked, you asked for three, but I'll, I'll give you four. Um, the first that I don't think people fully appreciate is how significant our generating assets actually are. Um, you know, we're not talking about small, run-of-the-mill solar facilities. We're talking about large, you know, 150 megs of clean, green, renewable energy on both sides of the border, um, capable of powering, you know, well over 100,000 homes. Um, you know, we've grown that production by 500% since 2012. Um, so we are a real player in this business. And um, these are assets that are carbon free. So, you know, talk about 
future-proofing your, your generating fleet, right? Like these are the things that everybody's going to want um, when they realize that there is no such thing as clean coal or when they realize that fossil fuels are not the answer going forward. Um, so, you know, we have these, these assets and, um, uh, and they're spectacular. And I'd encourage anybody in Ottawa, if you want to see them, um, see some of them in action, go check out the ones at Shawjair Falls, which are, um, you know, Dan, I'm, Rebecca, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Dan sure has, I mean, just breathtaking to watch, particularly in the summer. I wouldn't go there today when it's minus 12,000 degrees because the wind coming off would be a, would be horrifying, but, uh, lovely in the summer. If you wait for Blues Fest, there's no better place to listen to the music than, than Shut Your Fall. Yeah, you get all the benefits of music. Yeah, exactly. All the benefit of Blues Fest without paying or dealing with crowds. Um, anyway, so, that, so that's number one, um, is our generating fleet. Um, number two is the, uh, I spoke about earlier, is the, the Zibi Community Utility. Again, um, 34 acres of, of prime development down there, carbon-free, and, and we were part of that solution uh, to make it happen and um, hoping to replicate it, make it bigger, better elsewhere. But just taking something which was otherwise a science project or a concept and sort of bringing it to reality is something that we're eminently proud of. Um, and I think Ottawans will be as well. Um, third, just because my kids love it, is, uh, you know, we've got this – this new um, substation going out, or transformer station going out in uh, south of Ottawa in the Barnhaven area, which is growing like a, a weed, obviously, uh, 10 or 12% growth every year. So we had to build a new station out there. And, um, you know, we bought, we bought the necessary land for the station. Um, it's called Cambrian Station. It's going online sometime between now and June, I think. Um, in fact, it's being tested as I speak, but the point is um, we bought enough land out there that we've been able to donate 15 acres for a pollinator meadow to uh, to bring back the butterflies and plant some trees. So, um, again, no real cost to us other than the land that was used that we bought for the transformer station itself. But, you know, here's an, another opportunity for us to do the right thing. And last but not least, the fourth one, which I am uh, very proud of, is is the the role that we played in the conversion of the streetlights. So Ottawa had high pressure sodium streetlights, like every other municipality, and um, over the course of four years, uh, we were able to convert all fifty six thousand lights to LEDs. So uh, saving the city a massive amount of money, like somewhere in the range of six million dollars a year. Um, and that, those are continuing savings, right? So, uh, I mean, that's right to the bottom line. So, these are these are uh, these are streetlights that are better. They're all IEP addressable. So, you know, when the Sens win the Stanley Cup, we can flash red and white or whatever we want. Um, but the point is, is they're just uh, they're good for a long time, and in uh, that the those net sa the energy savings will. Uh, We'll pay for them. Well, it's already paid for the project over once over already, and now all the savings go right through to the taxpayer. So, very proud of that. Another thing we're doing is targeting an entirely non-emitting grid by 2035. What sort of changes will that mean for electricity utilities and customers? Yeah, this is going to back to the moonshot kind of Rebecca in the sense that 
you know, we're talking about it and obviously we're committing to do these sorts of things, but we don't necessarily have a clear cut perspective on how it's going to be done. Um, so look, as I said earlier in Ontario, the grid's 92% clean and green right now. Um, the other 8% is, is, um, you know, natural gas kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, we need to, you know, to, to turn the grid into a non-emitting grid by 2035, uh, utilities like ourselves are going to have to invest in trying to find ways of, of managing lo line losses and, and just, you know, the transmission. Um, you know, the transmission of electricity from point A to point B emits, emits GHGs and emits, it, it emits, um, uh, and that needs to be curtailed. So how do you do that? Well, I mean, there's technology that hopefully we brought to bear. I mean, today's lines are better than the lines of 10, 15 years ago. So, I mean, I think the answer there is going to be technological change. Um, the good news is we have a lot of smart, smart, smart people, um, you know, both academically, you know, within utilities, within the associations, working on trying to solve this problem. But... Um, yeah, it's just going to be it's it's a challenge for us, and, and I don't I don't necessarily have the right answer. I don't have an answer for you right now, other than you know, I as I explained to my board, um, you know, the iPhone is twelve years old this year. So imagine what life. Think back to where we were in twenty two thousand eight. What was I can't even imagine what my life, what would our lives would be like if we didn't have an iPhone in our pocket, right? So that's a technological change that's made a fundamental difference in our life and our society, some good, some bad. But um, surely the hope is that technolo technological change will help us get help us get to an automating grid by 2035 in, a, in an affordable way. Now, back in 2019, Hydro Ottawa opened its new office building, centralizing your operations while ensuring a new building with a greener footprint. Can you tell us about this decision to move and how you've incorporated sustainability into your building operations? I joined Hydro Ottawa August 15th, 2011. Um, and on August 16th, 2011, we had a board meeting uh, which where they authorized uh, the company to move forward with what was called ubiquitously the real estate strategy, um, which was effectively, look, you know, as a result of amalgamation, we had, we had buildings all over the place. You know, we had inherited Gloucester Hydro, Hydro Auto, Ottawa Hydro, Nepean Hydro, Canada Hydro. So we had all these buildings all over the place. Um, that we'd inherited. Some of them were in pretty good shape. Others were absolute pigs. If you think of it, one in Albion Road would be the prime example. Um, the point was they were, in all the wrong, they, they were in all the wrong places. From an operational perspective, they were just in the wrong place. Um, so we developed a plan and a strategy to sort of recapitalize our buildings. And we knew that, you know, quite frankly, for every dollar I spent on Albion Road, it was a dollar I lost because there was no I mean, the value was not in the building. The value was in the land. I use the term value loosely. Um, but it was we made that decision. Board supported it. Ontario Energy Board, as part of our applications, endorsed the idea that we needed new facilities. Um, so we launched the, the, the plan 
I don't know, 2014, um, a couple stutter steps along the way, trying to find the right lands. Um, finally landed on the, the, right, the right places for us as a company. Um, you know, and if you look at our headquarters and right now, uh, we built, opened in 2019, but, um, you know, all the new buildings are built to, uh, to lead gold standards. Um, both of them have, both facilities have significant on-site renewable. They have solar facilities on sites. Um, they were designed to be, uh, we didn't want them to be ostentatious or flashy. We wanted them to be functional. Um, we wanted them to be low maintenance to the extent that we possibly could. Uh, we wanted to do what we could on our GHGs as well. So environmentalism, and that came directly from our employees. As, as we were doing the builds and designing, you know, we were constantly reaching into our workforce to see what was important to them, what did they, what would they want to see. Um, and that was one of the things. So, you know, they all obviously everybody wants light. Uh, so, you know, if you've been to the facilities, you know they're wide open. Everybody has access to sort of fresh, uh, you know, good quality air. Um, everyone has access to sort of you know daylight um, for the most part. Um, so uh, they actually turned out fantastic. Uh, it's exactly what we wanted. So our we you know installed a whole bunch of different environmental things. So you know we've got solar solar charging stations at, at our headquarters. We've got electrical charging stations at the headquarters. We've got uh, water reduction facilities in place. So I think we're using 55 or 60% less water than we otherwise used to. Uh, we use the gray water, return that, gets used back into the gardens and stuff like that. I think we're diverting 90, 95% of our non-hazardous waste. We have a, our, our kitchen supplier has, uh, has access to a, a dehydrator, which allows them to dehydrate the food waste to reduce you know, to use it as, as compost. Um, you know, from the design perspective, health and wellness was factored into it from day one. So we've got, you know, I won't say world-class gym facility, but it's pretty damn good. Um, got lots of ergonomically designed workspaces. The meeting rooms are flexible. Uh, we've got collaboration spaces everywhere so the whole point was i think steve jobs used to refer to them as collision points where an employee could walk would bump into another employee and an idea would germinate that's kind of the way we built the place so you know every corner has every well not every corner but just throughout the building there's there's collaboration spaces both inside and outside we've got a walking bath that on our property <coughs> um so all of those have been done um, because of the right things to do. Uh, they were the right things to do. Now, you know, post-pandemic or in the middle of a pandemic, I would tell you that all these open spaces are not our friends. Uh, you know, there are points where you'd like to put up some walls again and close some doors, but you know, it is what it is. We'll get past this and get back to normal and, and – uh, We'll be happy with what we got. But yeah, no, the facilities are great. We love them. Uh, I think everyone's very, I, I honestly haven't heard anybody complain about the facilities, which if you work in the utility, is shocking. It seems every couple months, you know, we're hearing about an innovative new example of electrification of other economic sectors. 
Here in Ottawa, we're seeing multiple modes of public transportation transitioning to electric. For example, e-scooters, which I have to say I use a lot and are super fun, to everything else such as chainsaws and lawnmowers seem to be up for grabs when it comes to electrification. What's the coolest example of electrification that you've come across, Bryce? I got like like 15 answers to this one. So I love those electric scooters. I was I, I used them for the first time when I was in San Diego, whipping along the waterfront in San Diego on an electric scooter was, you know, one of the coolest things in the world. Of course, I didn't look so graceful when I fell, but uh, so be it. So those are really cool. Um, I've seen electric uh, surfboards, which I think are really cool too. I'm terrified to even conceive of how to get on one, but it's this kind of a wakeboard that you get elevated up in the air, so you're you're surfing on top of the water, uh, and it's purely electric powered. But that looks pretty cool. My neighbor here has one, and I'm jealous now when I see him out there on it. Um, but you know, I, I, honestly, the, the coolest one, quite frankly, are still the cars. Like you see some of these, like you know, some people maybe not remember, but there used to be a car. Um, that came out of the U.S. military. It was called a Hummer. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was governor of California, had a Hummer, and he made his electric, you know, a great personal expense to him, I'm sure. But you know, these are cars that, you know, massive big V12 engines, when you would turn on the gas and, the, you know, you turn the car on, you could literally see the ozone layer deplete behind you. That's how much these things were. And they were just pigs on gas. They drove, you know, they... I don't even know what they would get up to a gallon, probably like three kilometers to a gallon of gas back in the day, but they were just enormous. And, and so, you know, much like everything else, they went the way of the dodo bird. They got sold off and then, you know, shut down. Well, then lo and behold, they're coming back. So 2022, they're going to be, this is the first year of the electric Hummer. And it is a thousand horsepower. It weighs 10,000 pounds or close to 10,000 pounds. It goes zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. And again, it weighs 10,000 pounds. <laughs> um, like it, it's amazing what they're capable of doing. And it's going to have a, you know, it's going to have a range of 580 kilometers or whatever, whatever it will be. But just the sheer um, improvements in these electric vehicles is, I mean, you know, Dan's got two of them, but they're, we're a long way from when these first electric cars came out. You know, Hydro Ottawa had one of the very first electric cars. And, and, and I would tell you, you know, because I used to park next to it in the garage, there would be weeks when I would go by where I wouldn't see that car because it was in the garage being fixed or something was wrong. It, like, it was just, it was a very, uh, you know, I, I drove it one day and my teenage daughter, who was probably all of 13 at the time, was in the back seat and thinking like, she's really cramped in the back seat because the whole damn thing is a big battery. So you just think about where that car was relative to the cars that we're seeing out there today. And I'm not even talking about the Teslas. I'm talking about, you know, the, the Hyundais and, and sort of the, the, the tr traditional car makers and the, the, the efforts that they're making in this space. Like it's truly, it, it's truly exceptional what they're doing and, and, and full credit to them. Like, I saw Dan reference the, the, the Audi electric, the e-tron. I mean, it's, it's the coolest car in the world, <laughs> you know. Um, but, and all these cars are just incredible. So, 
Uh, so the, my answer is, yeah, notwithstanding the scooters, and, uh, you know, at least I don't fall out of my car. So, With Hydro Auto customers making it very clear that climate change is important to them and they want you to continue being part of the solution and pushing the organization to do more. How are you planning to assist customers reducing their carbon footprint? It's a great question. And, um, you know, it's, it's part of the moonshot, right? Like, I don't actually know what they need until, um, until we start dialing this in and getting, getting work on it. But uh, what I know is that they want to interact with us differently. They want information. They want access to information in a way that nobody else, no, that no one else has ever asked for us, right? Like they are interacting. It used to be that, you know, the average Canadian thought of their electrical company nine minutes a year when they were paying their bills. That's not the case anymore. Um, you know, when they're making decisions with respect to appliances, they're thinking about their consumption. When they're making decisions with respect to their cars, they're, make, they're, 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 they're calling us. Um, one of our affiliates in Bari, um, you know, we, one of the services we offer is electric vehicle readiness assessments for, for small commercial and condo buildings. Because um, you think, you know, for Dan to live in his house and install a car chargers, no problem. But if you're living in a condo corporation with 400 units, how do you build out the electric car charging asset? Does it build to the house, to the person that owns the electric car, or are they sort of shared resources? So, I mean, these are some of the challenges that we're dealing with and our customers are dealing with firsthand. So our job is to help. Our job is to try to help navigate those issues and concerns and make them, you know, provide them with the information. Um, and sometimes they'll make the right decision. Sometimes they'll make the wrong decision, but at least they're making an informed decision, if nothing else. Um, so that's an example. Um, the electric bus initiative here in Ottawa, another one that we're quite proud of. And, you know, we're going to partner with the city of Ottawa to sort of deploy and roll out 400 plus electric vehicles, electric buses. Um, so if you've ever seen the, these buses, I mean, they are, they are sleek. They are, um, noiseless. Um, they are, quite frankly, enjoyable to ride. Uh, you don't have that diesel smell that's, you know, everywhere. You're not on Slater Street looking down a canyon of, you know, diesel spewing buses anymore. So uh, those are all the things that we're going to do to help our community and our customers. And, and quite frankly, there are probably 15,000 other things that we're going to be doing to help them as we get into this fight, as we get into this, start climbing this challenge or responding to this challenge, we're going to find other things that they're going to want. And, uh, what I do know is that we've got a good brand. We've got social license within our community. You know, if they're going to turn to anybody, they're going to turn to us to help for, for solutions. And, and it's our job to be there to help them. So, Bryce, as a community asset, will Hydro Ottawa pursue net zero outside the confines of its own operations? And if so, what's your plan in terms of playing such an instrumental role in the broader progress of Ottawa towards becoming net zero and or any other sorts of electrification programs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, let's be clear. That's one of the reasons we're doing the net zero uh, commitment. We made the net zero commitment, and board was very clear. We're not just doing this so that we can feather our own cap. We're not doing this so that we can put up a banner that says "Mission Accomplished" in 2030. We're going to do this because we want to support our community and our city in moving to being net zero, whether that by 2040 or 2050. We want to get there. Um, so. Hydro Ottawa actually becomes a catalyst to, to helping them 
achieve these things. And that means you're, you know, partnering with the city on their energy evolution file, um, working with the city on, you know, on the, on the electric bus stuff that I talked about. Um, you know, helping them look at their municipal field buildings and say, okay, you know, you know, like this Nepean Sportsplex, is it time for this thing to go through a, a, you know, a deep retrofit so that we can sort of make it more energy efficient? I mean, the city's got massive real estate holdings um, and a lot of buildings that, you know, predate me and predate you and predate us, which are in dire need of sort of retrofitting. And, you know, it's the low hanging fruit's done. We, we've swapped out the light bulbs already. Like, for us to make a difference and to sort of hit those targets that the city has set for itself, we've got to start doing some real meaningful stuff. Like we've got to start doing some deep retrofits to buildings. We've got to start, you know, as we're doing with the city on the bus side, you've got to start doing some big, bold things. And, um, and we're there to help them do that. So, so short answers to your question, Rebecca, is, yeah, we're there. We're there. We'll be there. We'll be partnering with them. We'll use our technology. We'll use our budget if necessary. Okay, mon ami, how about we close off with some rapid-fire questions? Sure. Since you've already been a guest on our program, we've come up with some special new ones for you, Bryce. Are you ready? I'm game. What are you reading right now, Bryce? Uh, it's a book by uh, a congressman, a guy named Jamie Raskin. It's called Unthinkable. It's about uh, January 6th, uh, last year, I guess. So Jamie Raskin is a congressman from Maryland who son tragically committed suicide um, like days before January 6th and then he Jamie Raskin went on to serve as the uh, the head of the impeachment proceedings against former President Trump um, as a result of January 6th so it's a, it's a book about that and, uh, so that's really depressing but it's, it's, it's a fantastic book and um, um, terrifying at the same time but I just finished reading the uh, the book by um, Mark Carney, Values, which I recommend to anybody and everybody. I thought it was really, really well done. So if you haven't read that, you should read that too. A little more cheery. Now, what would you name your boat if you had one? So uh, the short answer is um, I, I think all boats should be called the Enterprise. Um, but I actually saw a boat um, on the... <laughs> and the Rito, it was down by front, parked in front of the uh, uh, convention center this year. It was this massive boat, and the, and the boat's name was Size Matters, which I thought was pretty funny. I'll take the Enterprise. Wondering if you could share with us who is someone that you truly admire? Well, I mean, look, how can you not admire somebody like Nelson Mandela? Or, you know, I, I think Winston Churchill's probably the greatest leader world has ever seen so i'll i'll go with winston churchill and nelson mandela and leave her there now what is the closest thing to real magic that you've witnessed i haven't a clue Pass. what has been the biggest challenge to you personally since the pandemic before the pandemic hit i probably logged i don't know seventy-five thousand miles a year in the plane flying from one place to another um a lot of it for a lot of it um, for meetings and stuff, but um, the lack of travel, the lack of contact, um, you know, as from a professional perspective, I would, 
you know, whether it was going to CS Week or Distribute Tech or any of these other meetings, you'd go to them and, and you'd come back kind of rejuvenated on the one hand, but also kind of inspired by the things that we were doing relative to our peers. And then you'd always pick up one or two little things that you thought, you know, that's really cool. I wish we could do something like that. And, and quite frankly, it's been two years since I've been able to do that. And, and you know, Zoom calls are great, but, you know, they just don't capture the same, you don't get the same benefit, right? So I would say that, and obviously, you know, just just day-to-day social interaction. It'd be nice to actually be able to have people over without worrying about whether they've been vaccinated and boosted and, you know, all that good nonsense. But I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get there. We've all been watching a lot more Netflix and TV lately. What's your favorite movie or show? Well, the greatest movie of all time is The Godfather. So that's the one that no matter what time of day or night it's on, if I, if I, if I flip by and see it, it's on, I will watch whatever's left of it. So that's just a, And then my favorite TV show, sounds sounds stereotypical, I love The Sopranos. And I, 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 I rewatched I The Sopranos over the holidays because David Chase came out with that new movie, The, the Saints of Newark, which uh, I wonder... I wanted to refresh my memory on all things Tony Soprano before I watched that. And lastly, Bryce, what's really exciting you about the electricity sector right now? The answer is what's not exciting, right? Like, you know, the biggest challenge facing our country, our, the people, this, this generation is climate change and how we respond to climate change. And where else do you want to be in the middle of a fight than right in the middle of it, right? So... Climate change is, is the challenge. Electricity is the answer. And um, the electrical sector is going to be front and center in that fight. So I can't think of a better place to be. I mean, I've, I have, you know, like lots of people, had other opportunities presented to me in, over the, in the last few years. But I wouldn't want, there's no place I'd rather be than at the head of Hydro Ottawa as we go into this climate change fight. I just think that the opportunities are fantastic. Um, I think the impact is fantastic if we can get it right. Um, and I'm just, you know, you know, bullish on the sector. I think, I think the answers, the, our, our sector is the answer, whether it be electric transportation or heating and cooling it's going to be electricity. That's the answer. And it's just a question of trying to find how do, you, how do you fit it all together in an affordable way that people can understand. Well, Bryce, that's it. We've reached the end of another episode of the Think Energy podcast. Thanks again, boss, for joining us today. We hope you had a good time. Had a great time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Think Energy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening. And to find out more about today's guest or previous episodes, visit thinkenergypodcast.com. I hope you'll join us again next time as we spark even more conversations about the energy of tomorrow.